Welcome to the Superpower Success Podcast. It's time to shift your paradigm, gain some inspiration, and get moving towards that next level of success. So today we're going to talk about being a set-the-table leader, and hopefully the, the topic of the podcast is what drew you in. Um, because I think this is an interesting concept. I think it's super important always, but it's really important now um, as we're looking at our own leadership capabilities, whether that's in our communities, in our families, and in our businesses. And so we're going to talk about that idea of being a a set-the-table leader. And I'm super excited to have Joe Nakwanebi with us, and he's the CEO of Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures. Um, but more than the title, uh, he's, and he's heard me say this before, and he probably embarrasses him, but he's an interest, really an inspiration to me in terms of how he leads. I've been exposed to his organization. I've been exposed to his leadership style. And I think about it a lot about how he runs his organization and the engagement and the performance and the people um, that want to be part of that. And so when I thought about servant leadership, being a set the table leader, and I've had this topic on my podcast list for a while, it was immediate that Joe, you were the person that was going to come on and talk about this because I think you have it figured out, or at least you're on the journey to figuring it out. And so I think it's going to be a great conversation. And I really appreciate you with everything going on, taking the time to be on here today. Yeah. Thanks, Jamie. That's, that's flattering. I appreciate that. Absolutely. So as we always do, right, we don't, we don't read bios here. I want you to just share your journey kind of so people can understand how you've gotten to the point that you're at today and, and what have been those kind of key milestones in your journey along the way. Sure. So Mille Lacs Corporate Ventures is a tribally owned corporation. So we're owned by the Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe. And I myself am a proud Mille Lacs Band of Ojibwe member. And that's, that's, I think, where my journey started. I, I would go back that far. Just uh, I was lucky. I had a great mother and great father that worked for the tribe. Uh, both of them worked in the health and human services field. My, my dad was a chemical dependency counselor, and my mom was a nurse. And we have really this 400, 500-year lineage of contributing to the tribe and so from a very young age it was just an under an understanding that you know we would go out and get some get some skills and build some skills and then come back and and put those to work to better the to better the tribe and so that that I I knew that's what I was going to do as a kid and had some great examples in front of me of how to get there so so doing the right things, getting, getting a good education, uh, working hard. You know, they, my parents and, and our family has always, always been a growth mindset. So hard work pays off. And so that's really, I, I knew I was going to do that. I didn't know where I was going to go. And, and when I was a kid, grand casinos opened their doors. So all of a sudden there was this huge business, uh, avenue for me for me to pursue or for me to get interested in and I I remember as a really little kid watching the casino open up and everybody coming in the doors and all this energy and I would listen to my 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 parents and and my uncles talking about what a huge thing this was that the tribe was finally able to realize some of the the dreams of self-determination and 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 I was like, wow, that's, that's what I want to do. So that, so that's what kind of propelled me into the business world. So my, my education has always been aimed at that. So I, I went to 
St. Cloud State University for a marketing degree. I really fell in love with marketing. I started I started here at in Malax Corporate Ventures as a promotional intern at Grand Casino. So that's where that was my first rung on the ladder was was an intern. You know, I still tell stories about walking around the casino floor with annoying noisemakers and balloons and, and handing out prizes. And but that's really where I that's where I cut my teeth was literally right on the casino floor talking with guests. And I, I really fell in love with that. I fell in love with with the guest experience and what folks were were hiring Grand Casino to do for them. And and on the other side of it, I, I was also uh, mathematical, so math was my love, and, and that's really from a marketing point of view where where I found this happy marriage between my interests, and and that that's really what I pursued was database marketing. So when I when I landed here full time, that's I was really uh, really came into Grand Casino at a lucky. Uh, or a very fortunate period of time for the gaming industry where we were we were there was this kind of this wave this transition that was going from a guest service mindset into more of a, a data mindset and and I was the the young new kid on the block that knew how to how to run the queries and, and do the work mm-hmm. on, on on really mining the database so that's where I I, I made a name for myself and, and made some performance happen at, at Grand Casino and from there, just kind of kept climbing the ladder and, and became the marketing director at Grand Casino Malax and, and then the corporate marketing director over both properties. And then as I kind of made my way up into the kind of sea level um, where I could see it and it was there and there was a path, uh, I, I really didn't think I was ready for that. And I didn't really have a very good vision for how I would operate there. And I didn't think I had the skill set either. So I went back to pursue my MBA at that time and, and went to Carlson School of Management and, and didn't build my portfolio there on, on things I was good at. I, I really went there and said, wow, I, I really, I'm really terrible at accounting and, and not a very good finance person. How can, I, how can I build some skills there? So that's really what I focused on there. And that, that preparation really helped me make the jump uh, and and that's that's kind of what propelled me to my seat today so I've, I've been here for 18 years since I, I hit the floor as a as a promotional intern uh, 10 of those years in the marketing just climbing the, the marketing ladder and, and making an impact where I could and then the last eight years in this role here and and really I uh, didn't want to take this role and unless I had a vision for where for where I was going to take the place once I sat in the seat. So I think um, that's a that's it in a nutshell, uh, the, the journey. Um, but that's uh, that's that's the story. I love it. Um, when you think about kind of your progression, you know, throughout that corporate ladder and as you've grown as a person through mm-hmm. that, through your MBA is what is a superpower that you think has helped contribute to you getting to this level of success? Oh, I love that question. <laughs> That's such a fun question. Um, superpower. I don't know if I have a superpower, but but what I do have is an invisible, an invisibility cloak. That's what I, <laughs> that's what I think is, that's what I would say. Um, and, 
and I, the way I use that is important. It, it's, it's, a uh, it's kind of the Jim Collins, good to great. You know, he uses a, the mirror and the mirror in the window. And I think that's the same thing. I think when, when things are going bad or we're, we're in a rough patch from a business perspective, I, I use the invisibility cloak on my team. So I, I try to shield them from, from any of the, the burden and, and I try to shoulder that and, and, and really self-reflect on what I could do better and how I could be better for them. And so, so I'll take that heat and, and, and also figure out how I can contribute the best I can to, to getting us uh, back onto a path. And then the other way it comes in handy is when we're doing well, <laughs> like when we're, when we're kicking butt and things are going great and the numbers are, are, are hitting, you know, at that point in time, I use the, invis the invisibility cloak on myself. So I try to, I, uh, I try to disappear into the background uh, and, and I really want the team and the members that are really actually doing the, the real hard work to, to be recognized. And I think that's been, that's probably been the closest thing to superpower. I think it's just been cool to, to um, you know, not be that guy, you know, that that's trying to take the credit and things like that. I, I, I really try to, uh, disappear and, uh, and and let folks get the appreciation that they deserve. So I think that's the closest thing I could come up with. I, I love it. And I'm writing down like, this is a blog title, like, you know, your leadership invisibility club, like how much are you using it? Because, and what I admire most about you and, and, and from your team, it's just consistent is, is that you really are who you are. Like, there's no, like when I'm in the office or, you know, when we're doing this or I'm in it, like, you're just you. And it's that humility and kind of that approachability, I think, that also helps in that space. And I think transitioning into the, the topic we're talking about today is, is be a set-the-table leader. Is, that's a huge piece of it, right? And when I hear you talk about your journey and you're talking about your parents is that service to the tribe has just, it's part of your DNA. It's not, I mean, you developed it, but it's, it really stems from something very early on in your life. And that lineage um, of that service. And when we talk about be a set the table leader to explain it to people who are listening, um, I was telling Joe that I heard this at a conference and, and um, the speaker talked about there's kind of two options as a leader and, and there's a spectrum in there, but you can be a pound the table leader, right? Like get things done and really drive people that way. Or you can be a set the table leader and be servant to them, right? Like, how can I make it better for you? How can we make it easier to do what you do? That type of leader. And so that's really what be a set the table leader means. Um, and I know you guys have really adopted the servant leadership, you know, ideals and approach uh, at, at Malax Corporate Ventures. So can you talk a little bit about that leadership style and, and the shift you've made in the last eight years, right? And the culture with that servant leadership style and what you've seen, how you've seen that had an, have an impact on your organization, both results, right? But also engagement and culture. Sure. The, the thing I fell in love with on the servant leadership side of things was, was the, the whole idea of the inverted pyramid. And, you know, and I, I really hated the idea that things have to be run up through a hierarchy to, to one person or one group of people. And, and somehow they were magically good at, at making all the decisions for the, for the company. And I just thought, wow, that must be such a burden. And, and I just didn't believe 
in that. And, and I thought it was an old way to run a company and, and, and really didn't, didn't really subscribe to the, the authoritarian nature that's required in that whole system. So I think from my, my perspective, flip, flipping the pyramid and really putting leaders in a role we're more like cheerleaders. So, you know, we're watching, we're watching folks. We want to catch people doing something great. And, and when we catch them doing that, you know, we want to cheer them on to their goals and, and be there to tell, to congratulate them. And, and also put ourselves in, in the role as, as resource providers. So if, if folks need something to do their job better or to make their job environment more fun, you know, that's really what we're supposed to do is allocate the necessary resources. And that can manifest itself in a new, numerous ways. It can be investments in technology, could be investments in human capital, uh, could be investments in, in just in, in intrinsic rewards. But e either way, like a, that, that's really what, what the servant leader does. And the other thing I like about it and, and the, the thing that we talk about a lot is that the it just makes sense. The, the, the people that are closer to guests know more about what the guests are, are feeling and what they're thinking. So they have more information. They have better information. They have cooler stories about what our guests are sharing. And all of that equates to better ideas and, and, and that's, um, and more creativity. I mean, it, so for us, it's been, you know, that's really been the key that's unlocked what we're able to do as a company is, is we just have this unbelievable volume of creative ideas coming from our, our folks. And that, that matches right up with what you're talking about on setting the table. You know, the, the authoritarian model, what that really sets up is obedience. And our, our, our view on that is that you can't win with obedience anymore. I think that that once again, that's an old concept. It's a mm -hmm. thing of the 1900s that um, that's kind of how companies would win. Well, today you just can't, you can't do that. And I think what, what servant leadership in, in, in the opens up is, and, and what we try to facilitate is, is we want people that are learning how to be better leaders every day. So that way the eight, 10, 12 hours that folks are, are on their shift, that the leaders are making that fun and enjoyable part of people's lives. And then the other thing it does is it unlocks the, the ability to solve interesting problems. So th those are the two main focuses. If we're facilitating an environment where people are becoming better leaders or, or the recipient of better leadership and they're being asked to solve interesting problems, that's what makes life fun. <laughs> so. I think, again, I think the, there's just so many qualities of, of the servant leadership model that, that really fit what, what we're trying to, to build here with our culture and, and what I think works better in the, in the business space. I, I love it. And, you know, you really talk about the changing times, right? And what, not even that it worked, but what was acceptable, right? In terms of that authoritarian... And you're seeing the generational changes and, and just what isn't acceptable anymore. It's not so much whether it works or not, because there would be companies that would claim it does work. It drives shareholder value, right? And it drives results, but it's not working in terms of getting the most out of your people. Cause that's your ultimate goal is you've got these people here. How can we get them to perform at, at their, at their best? And, you know, we define culture in, in our work as 
people are leaving every day better than when they came in. That's what a positive culture is, right? Yeah. And however we, you know, facilitate that, and it doesn't have to be huge. It's just they feel better when they leave versus there's a lot of organizations where it's the inverse, right? I come in in a good mood, I have a crappy day and crappy interactions, and then I leave and go home to my family in a place where it's like I, that. We don't want to spread that. And so my question for you, just given the time that we're in right now, right? Everybody, I, hate, I don't even want to say the word, but we all know where we're at right now. Um, and what we've been dealing with as leaders, you know, what we talk about is leadership in times of peace is easier, right? It's essential, but it's easier. Leadership in times of war, right? Which is where, what we're in right now is, is an absolute necessity. And how are you seeing what you've built right over the last eight years come into play during these difficult times? Like, how is it serving your organization now? You know, not just when it's easy. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the, I think what we see the most is better execution. Like, like I think the, you know, Ken, Ken Blanchard, is a big part of our curriculum here. And I, in, in, I think it's the book gung ho. He has this concept. It's the, it's the way of the beaver. So I think the, you know, when the, if there's a problem with the, with the dam that they built, you know, the beavers aren't looking around asking people, you know, asking each other how to fix that hole. You know, they're not asking what size of sticks or what type of mud. It's just everybody kind of, comes in and, and tries to solve that problem. They, they all know what the goal is and, and they gravitate towards that goal to try to solve that problem. And I think in this COVID-19 space, that's exactly what we saw. We saw a bunch of folks say, identify the goal really, really quickly. And then from there, we build metrics. So, so what, what are the different metrics that, that we need to be tracking at this point that, that are going to help us through this period of time or help us manage the, manage the different phases of, of, of closing, uh, of, of managing through it. And then, and then right now we're in the reopening process, but what are the metrics? What are the things we're going to measure? And then we, we kind of put up proper scoreboards. So how are we performing on this stuff? How are we hitting our timelines? What are the different things we got to, we, we have to do. And then finally, just this whole, we call it the rhythm or, or the cadence of communication. So, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, we've had to move to these online formats and, 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 and distance, uh, formats, but it, but it just felt natural and it was, nobody was looking around. People were coming to the table with different solutions on that. So, so instead of spending a lot of upfront time trying to, trying to plate something up, there were just ideas were just flowing in on how to, on how to, on how to execute. And I think that's been, it was actually beautiful. It was like a, a really cool thing to see. And, and I think from, from our standpoint, we, we kind of look back at it and we just say, wow, you know, you know, look what we're creating here. Mm -hmm. um, nobody had to make, you know, I've been, you know, I've been asked about bold decisions that had to be made. And it was like, God, I don't know if we, I don't know if I could point to one because there's so many people that were making them themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's kind of the, um, you know, it ties right back into the description of, of, of servant leadership. So that, that I think is probably the, 
the thing I would point to um, to answer that. And that's just, it, it's that innovation, we, you know, high performance culture is really around, do the ideas flow, right, at the pace that they should flow. And, you know, what a lot of organizations have seen, and many of them positive, some not so much, but is when, when the pressure got on, right, and we started to put the squeeze on, like the diamonds came out, right, it, it, every, every, the foundation we had built actually proved that it works. And so I think you're seeing a lot of those leaders come out with confidence to say, we still have work to do. We still have things that we can fix, but our foundation is even stronger than we hoped it was, right? And that, that we yeah. can thrive through whatever is coming next. So for you, our question I want to ask you, because there's going to be leaders that are listening that are on the spectrum of the pound the table, get stuff done to the servant leadership, you know, extreme that you guys are is they're trying to figure out how they do that. So someone who's listening and is like, I totally agree with what you're saying, but it's hard, right? It's hard to get to that servant piece, especially if you're, maybe you're not as naturally wired that way. What advice would you give them? How do you start even small in your organization and starting to build this? Yeah, I think the, what we talk a lot about is becoming a, we call it like a, a transformational leader. Like you have to make this commitment to being a transformational leader. And, and in that, when, when we dig down one, one step further, we call it, it's, it's abnormal. You gotta be abnormal. <laughs> like if, yeah. if we're going to create abnormal results, we need abnormal people. Uh, um, you know, I, I even, I just had that conversation with my, my 10 year old daughter, you know, I was like, she's like, am I weird? I said, God, I hope so. I said, if you're not weird, then I'm failing as a, as a parent, you know, I, you want to be abnormal because if you're not, that just means you're like everybody else. And that's, that's not, that's not going to get things done, you know? So, so we have a process for that in the, you know, it starts with, with feeding the brain. So I think the, the that's the that's really step one is what what are you doing what commitment are you making can can you set aside 30 minutes a day to read something interesting that's going to stretch your stretch your brain help you see a different perspective and, and that's an easy place to start and in an, an easy a surprisingly easy commitment to make like if you think about the amount of time that we that we can blow in a fog on social media if you just redirect 30 minutes a day to read uh, an hbr article or find a cool book um, find um, i think that that's really where it starts so we encourage all of our leaders to make sure that they're that they're reading we leaders are readers is another mantra that we have so you got to be you know what are the interesting things you're reading so i think that's an easy step kind of jump in is, is to really start feeding the brain. We talk a lot about strengthening the body here as well, because if your body breaks down, then your, your, your mental capacity also breaks down. I used to have a, 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 a basketball coach in high school, Jack DeJarley would, would say, if, if you're physically getting tired, that means you've been mentally tired for, for at least, a quarter before that, you know, so you you've made errors and mistakes on the court that have cost the team. So I think the other thing we focus, that's another uh, pretty easy one to do uh, is to commit 
to 30 minutes a day to whatever it might be. Um, it, it could be walking, it could be running, it could be lifting weights, it could be meditation, um, uh, but strengthening your, your body is one of those things that we also talk about a lot. Um, finding great role models, that's the, that's the next step in this process because again, the, the, you can't really do this alone. When, when you get to a leadership uh, spot, it does get, it can get lonely if, if you allow it to. I think in surrounding yourselves, yourself with role models is really the key there. And we normally ask our folks to have, have one, identify one role model that they can call tomorrow and, and, and just talk to. So somebody that's in reach and also identify at least one role model that is, is afar. It could be somebody that you're just, you're just following on, on Twitter or somebody that you're, you're reading or listening to. Uh, but, but having role models so that way you can kind of learn from them about what's going on and lear learning from influential leaders that, that have done cool things in, in their life or, or are doing things that you want to emulate that's so important for for leaders today and another easy step that you can just weave right into your your processes Love it. and then getting proximity is is the next thing so that's and those are those are steps where if you if there's a project or a program or something that's important to you that you want that you want to advance there, there are certain folks that can make that and facilitate, make that easier and, and facilitate that to happen a lot quicker. So I think, so, you know, who are the handful or dozen folks that, that you think if you, if you could just present your idea to them, or I wonder what they would think if they heard my idea, or I bet if they heard my idea, they could help, um, trying to, so identifying them is the first step, but then getting in proximity to them. So if that means you have you want to join a board that they're on, or you want to you want to engage in a cause that they're involved in, or you just want to link up with them on on LinkedIn, whatever it is that you can possibly do to to get in proximity of those folks is something once again that helps uh, helps transform yourself as a leader. And then the last thing we focus on is giving back. So we're, we're give, give, give more than you ever hope to receive. And the, and we, we preach that a lot. So whatever the cause is that's important to you, there, there's just something that opens up in, in, in your heart and in your mind as a leader when you're giving and, and not expecting to get something back. It's uh, rewarding and fulfilling and it really helps kind of round out and, and, and shape up kind of who you can be as a leader. So, so that's the process we follow. It's a, it's a Tony Robbins kind of thing that we picked up and we love. And, and that's, so any or all of those steps that that would be probably my guidance to folks. And that it's a, I think you can identify, you can knock a bunch of them off together. <laughs> you, know, you do your running while you're listening to <laughs> a podcast, for example. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. It's so yeah. true. The simplicity. I mean, we, as humans, we overcomplicate a lot of things. It's just our yeah. natural tendency. The simplicity of these are going to be so valuable for people listening. And the other thing that this brings to mind for me is, um, 
I was listening to Simon Sinek this on a podcast this last weekend, and he talked about, you know, when he when he talks to leaders and they say, you know, like, I don't have good role models, you know, in my organization, let's say, right, large corporate that I can look up to who are these types of leaders. And his response was, you have full control over your leadership. So you don't, you can't change someone else. You can't, if your boss sucks, right, or isn't a good leader, isn't this kind of leader, don't spend your energy trying to change them, change you, you right? Mm-hmm. Change your leadership because people will be drawn to that. The people you yeah. want around you, right? Those influences yeah. and more and more people like that will be drawn to you. Even if you stay in the same organization, right? There's still pockets of good leadership. And it was just really interesting to me because of my corporate experience was like, that's exactly what I spent my time going, gosh, I don't want to report to this person or I don't respect this person, right? It's in the way they lead instead of just controlling what I can control, which are these steps, right? Growing myself and not worrying so much about the people who aren't as good servant leaders as I want them to be. I I hope they find it, right? I hope they listen to something like this and make a change, but we can't spend our lives trying to change other people. And, And I think it's important to look for mentors like you, right? Following people that are putting out good stuff, that are putting out good energy into the world, content, articles, you know, just ideas, because that will fill you up as a leader too. It, it doesn't always have to be somebody in close proximity. Yeah. And I think it is, you know, for a lot of folks, it's a, it's a struggle to, to adopt this type of, of leadership. And, and, and I think a lot of the, the reasons kind of relate to how you mentioned how hard it is. And I, I think the reason it's hard is because it's not, it's not just IQ, it's also your emotional intelligence. So it's about building relationships. It's about using words and actions that suggest love and appreciation and admiration. And I think that's hard for a lot of leaders to do, especially men. So I think, I think men view admiration and love. They view, they view those as weaknesses in the, in the business setting. And I think, um, so again, be abnormal, you know, (laughs) show, show love, show admiration. There's nothing wrong with that. And that that's really uh, one of the backbones and one of the strengths of, of great leaders, I think. So, so true. And I think that's a great place to, to wrap this on a, just a feel good note that again, we have the opportunity every day to be abnormal. I love that idea. And I'm going to go tell my kids to make sure, make them tell me what they're <laughs> abnormal with. Um, nice. Because it's, it's the red ocean, blue ocean, even from a business standpoint, right? It's, if you yeah. want to be where everyone else is, it's that red ocean, the sharks are feeding, like everyone else is there. Great. You do, you're just as good as everybody else. But that blue ocean, even as individuals, it's like, I want to be in clean water. I want to be doing something just on the fringes, a little bit different than what everybody else is doing. And it's okay. That's exactly what makes the world go round, right? It's it's what makes businesses differentiate and grow. So I love, it's a good reminder for me as well during this time. So I appreciate that. How can people connect with you, follow you, learn more about, you know, your business, even job opportunities, because they are all going to want to work for you now because of what kind of leader you are. Like what's the best way? Sure. The, so I'm on social media. Uh, my handle is at Joe Nay Day. So, N A Y D A Y. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Okay. People have trouble spelling my last name, even me. So. Yeah, pronouncing it and spelling it. <laughs> Joe, Joe Nay Day. We'll <laughs> like put that in the podcast notes so everybody's got it. 
And uh, I'm on all of them, Instagram, Twitter, and the my best one, honestly, is Snapchat. So that's probably the one I, that's the one I uh, use the most and probably the one where people would get a the best idea of what my actual life looks like. <laughs> I'm impressed that you're on Snapchat. I really am impressed. I have not conquered Snapchat. I love it. I, I think it's the best one right now. My kids moved on. They're already on TikTok now. They, so. Oh, so then it's probably time for me to use Snapchat because it, you know, when it's cool for the kids, they don't really want me on there. But now that they're not on there anymore, maybe it's time. Um, <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll put that in the podcast notes and uh, make sure that people have that. And thank you again for being on here. I appreciate it so much. And thank you. Wisdom and advice. And, and to the listeners, you know, this podcast, 100 plus episodes in, our goal is to shift your paradigm just a little bit, shift your perspective, because that's where growth comes from, is if you can hear from different people who have different ideas or have had different experiences, it makes us more well-rounded. And that's truly the definition of growth is learning from others. And so just continue to engage, subscribe, you know, make sure that you're sharing this podcast with somebody who needs to hear this today, because there's a lot of leaders out there that, that now is the time for them to focus on this and focus on their leadership and growth. So thanks everyone. Thanks so much for listening. If you like this episode, please click that little subscribe button so you get the latest episodes when we release them. And we would so appreciate a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you on how these podcast topics are having an impact for you. And if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter, make sure and go to our website, keystonegroupintl.com to sign up.